Hi, and welcome to Journal Club. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, another article from the Journal of Veterinary Emergency Critical Care called The Comparison of High-Flow Nasal Cannula Oxygen Administration to Traditional Nasal Cannula Oxygen Therapy in Healthy Dogs. Joining me to discuss this uh, today is Dr. Samantha Campos. Uh, again, she is a criticalist, a specialist in emergency critical care. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, give a shout out to the authors um, of the paper. So doctors uh, Yagodich, Bersinas, Bateman, and Kerr. Um, so Dr. Campos, why don't you start by just giving us an, uh, a brief overview of the paper? Sure. Um, so the, the point of this study was they were obviously comparing the high flow nasal cannulas to kind of the traditional nasal cannulas in these dogs to see it, like kind of A, how easy it is and B, does, does it provide a good degree of respiratory support? And is it safe? Um, the dogs they did these in, it, it was eight healthy dogs. And so they were comparing them in both sedated and, sedated and awake states as well to kind of compare um, those different things that we just mentioned, the feasibility, respiratory support, and, and safety. This was an experimental crossover study um, that was done. Uh, and as far as the interventions that they were doing, they were using a bunch of different flow rates uh, for the traditional nasal, nasal cannulas versus the high flow nasal cannulas. Um, again, in the, the sedated and awake crossover dogs. They, what they measured um, to see were, were things like their inspiratory and expiratory airway pressures, the, the FiO2, uh, fracture-inspired oxygen, and tidal oxygen, and tidal CO2, um, as well as partial pressures of oxygen and partial pressures of carbon dioxide. They also looked at kind of more physical exam things like temperature, heart and respiratory rate, arterial blood pressure, and pulse ox. They also then added in sedation status for these dogs that were sedated, uh, complications, and then looked at different tolerance, um, and respiratory scores were also recorded. Um, when they were using, the, the, I guess the main, the main results, when they were using the uh, high-flow nasal cannulas, they were able to attain continuous positive airway pressure at rates of 1 and 2 liters per kg per minute, and they found that CPAP uh, wasn't, was obtained at these higher rates, but they were worse tolerance scores. Um, the expiratory airway pressures increased when the patients were sedated and the FiO2 was reasonable around 72% for these, these patients at, again, comparing different flow rates. Um, the FiO2 at all, um, high flow nasal cannula rates was 95% when they were greater at one, greater than rates, greater than one liter per kg per minute. Um, and then the, the biggest complication that they saw was air aphasia and that this PCO2 increased with sedation and the use of the high, uh, high flow nasal cannulas when compared to baseline. They concluded that using the high flow nasal cannulas in dogs was, was safe uh, and provides relatively predictable oxygen support and CPAP, but it may cause a, a mild increase in CO2. Uh, and in, in general, flow rates of one to two liters per kg per minute uh, were recommended. And then if you're using kind of the more traditional nasal cannula, flow rates of, of above 0.1 liters per kg per minute may reach higher FiO2 rates. Um, so those, those are the main things that the study kind of provided. Um, and it was kind of cool because they did such a uh, nice like experimental design with the, with these dogs. They even did some like modeling. You can see they have some cool pictures in here where they um, were kind of trying to facilitate putting on the, the high flow cannulas and you had to use some modeling clay. Um, and then again, compare these dogs in different, different um, statuses awake versus sedated. Yeah, I, th they did, a, a, I think, a pretty good job of kind of just going through, if you've never used this product, which I haven't, um, um, you know, of kind of going through what it 
what it entails, a couple of decent pictures of what it looks like. Um, it sounds like it comes uh, in two sizes for the dogs. And so um, the dogs that they needed the larger size nasal prongs for, it sounded like all needed some sort of adjustment, the, the modeling clay that they used to try to get it to fit better. It sounded like that worked fairly well. Um, and so you can you can sort of see how that worked in some of the in some of the photos that they included, which um, I agree was was very helpful. Um, so, uh, Sam, just the you know kind of what's your initial sort of take home? Like, okay, what what are you doing with this? What are your thoughts? Um, it's I mean, it's definitely I, I, I'm like you. I've never used it before, but I think it's it's fairly interesting. I guess the. Um, the aspect of having hitting those the, the higher FIO twos, like hitting seventy two percent that they had, is kind of appealing for the the patient that you know were not maintaining in an oxygen cage, and so I, I I like that aspect of it. The the pictures of these dogs kind of sitting there sedated um, with a cannulas in though and not intubated worries me. I, I you know I. I yeah, that, that degree of sedation. Yeah. yeah. I think, and I think they yeah. were using uh, Dexmed and was it Hydro as well as part of their protocol yeah. for, for sedation too. Yeah. Um, so just the the side effects of those medications and whatnot and having an, an airway that's not... And, and the reason, it seems like the, the reason they were sedating these dogs, they have the, these little tables where they were noting the um, pawing and rubbing at their at their interface. And again, with the, the flow rates increasing, the tolerance seemed to, to decrease in these guys. And so I think if they needed to obtain higher rates or at least get to those rates where they were able to obtain the CPAP, um, the dogs weren't necessarily tolerating it. Um, and so they use the sedation protocol. So I, I think it's... That was actually the thing I found most interesting. Um, so in their their tolerance scoring system that they created for this, you know, so zero to three, zero being they never bothered at the interface and um, and one, two, and three being, you know, how many times did they sort of paw at the interface? Um, I, I thought it was really interesting that it was not the interface itself that seemed to be the issue, but rather the flow rates, mm -hmm. right? So um, when they had a really low flow rates... Um, you know, the, or the, the lower flow rates, the dogs, you know, tended to, you know, have a lower tolerance score and those tolerance scores increased. I mean, the higher tolerance score is less tolerant. Um, then that's when they were like, okay, this is something I'm bothered by. But if it was at a low flow rate, they actually didn't seem to mind. Mm -hmm. And I would have predicted that just the interface itself, they would have been pawing at it. Now, I don't know, did they talk about, there was like a, an acclimation phase uh, or, you know, did they just have them on it? I'm trying to remember now. Um, did they just leave them on it uh, with, the, with the interface in place to get them a, a chance? Because awake dogs, you start, I mean, for me, if you start putting something in my nose, I, I'm going to start itching how much sneezing. They didn't talk about sneezing. Maybe they're not in far enough to, to stimulate yeah, they're like sneezing, the. I think they're, again, I, I can only see the, the pictures of the prongs in here, but they're like, they're shorter, kind of wider prongs. Yeah. So they also mentioned with a different sizing, the occlusion of the nares and aiming for like, I think it was like less than 50% is what they yeah. wanted to occlude. Yeah, that's how they decided um, sizing. But they, um, I think, initially sedated them, right? Is that yeah, what you're reading here yeah. to, as far as putting the instrumentation on them? Yeah, so I guess maybe you know, waking up with it, you'd be more tolerant of it than if you were awake when they placed it. I don't mm -hmm. know. I just, I was impressed by that. So the fact that, uh, you know, they were pretty tolerant of the apparatus um, as long as the flows were in a reasonable range, I thought it was pretty, you know, pretty exciting because yeah. I would not necessarily have expected that. Now, I will say they also, for their, uh, the traditional nasal cannulas had pretty, um, pretty good tolerance scores. So most of the dogs, 90% of the dogs, um, were in that zero tolerance score, which is the 
the most tolerant um, score, um, which I'm trying to, th- you know, I don't have numbers on this, but I feel like a lot of dogs initially will get kind of annoyed even just with a typical nasal cadence. Yeah. They do get used to it um, after a bit. And so that's why I was thinking they, maybe they had an acclimation phase. Um, but regardless, overall, that that part was, I think, fairly promising. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fact that at least at certain flow rates in sedated dogs, they were able to maintain some positive airway pressure, which that um, I think is also fairly exciting. So I, I think for me, you know, it's thinking about like when... When right. would I need this? Because they say, and I mean, clearly their numbers show that, you know, nasal cannulas are still a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like that we're not replacing those. Um, but there are maybe some circumstances where nasal flow um, oxygen support is insufficient. Um, and right now, what I think most of us are doing is saying, okay, well, <clears throat> if this amount of oxygen support is insufficient, then you need a mechanical ventilator, right? That That's the, our, our next escalation from there. And uh, that might not be possible either because you're at a facility that doesn't have it. I don't know, maybe your ventilator's on the fritz or the clients can't afford it. Um, is this another option? Is this, a, you know, kind of a step in between um, those, those two levels of support? Because that is a big jump, right? Going from nasal oxygen support to a mechanical ventilator. So it's certainly really appealing to have something in between. So what are your thoughts on how this could fit into that? Yeah, I think if the kind of if the if the price is right, um, as (laughs) far as comparing it to the the ventilator, and I guess if we're um, able to place them easily on on these dysmic dogs, I guess that'd be my other question as far as like attaching that modeling clay and the other things they've attached to the dog's face. How, how quickly can you do that? I mean, I can, I can Chinese finger trap fairly quickly for the the traditional nasal cannulas, but how easy is it to put on? Um, and then are we seeing the complications that we see associated with the, with the ventilator? Um, things like, uh, are, are we seeing the pneumonia, the ventilator associated pneumonia with these guys or because they're not intubated if they're, if we're just sedating them. Um, and again, what drugs can we sedate them with depending on what the cause of their dysmic is. Um, so I think I'd have the, I would, guess th- those would be my questions for things. And, um, the other thing that, I, that worries me too, is like, if they're, if we're, n- if the, and then if the dysnic dog shows a, like a more tolerance to this because they're too busy trying to breathe and yeah. less likely to be pawing at their face, like right. then we don't have to heavily sedate them. Then it does it not like add to the nursing staff that you need to, because the ventilator also adds to that component of how much you, the dedicated yeah. nursing team you need as well. Um, which uh, yeah. so I, I think it could be nice to kind of make things a little bit easier for the clinic itself and um, provide more oxygen for the patient that that's failing. You know, that the, the oxygen cage needs needs a little bit more. Yeah. But I do have some concerns about what what the secondary things that can happen are. Yeah, and I think it's it's tough. You know, I think a lot of times in veterinary medicine where it seems like it always comes down to money, right? But um, but it does, <laughs> you know, it, it kind of does. Um, and, and so I wish that they had addressed that a little bit more because I guess in my mind, um, unless we have a study um, really in any species, but ideally in dogs that shows that there are fewer complications in, you know, in patients that um, have high flow nasal cannulas versus invasive positive pressure ventilation, you know, mechanical ventilation, if we can say, hey, they actually have fewer complications, we have fewer instances of uh, lung injury, ventilator-associated pneumonia, you know, uh, uh, volume trauma, barotrauma, all Mm -hmm. of those things that we talk about, maybe if we can reduce that, 
then this is a viable option. Um, but re in reality, um, until we have that, I don't know that I can I can say, oh, this is just as good as mechanical ventilation, right? Um, we're going to provide us just as much support. So the big push for doing that, if, if you're failing our traditional uh, oxygen support, either with a cage or nasal cannula and things like that, right now we say next step is mechanical ventilation. If the only time I could say at this point with what we know that you shouldn't do that and we can try this would be if it's unavailable, right? The mechanical ventilation is unavailable or financially the clients can't do it. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I want to know what this costs. Like what is yeah, this setup yeah. going to be? What is, um, you know, certainly I, we, I guess we could look it up. Maybe we could, um, maybe we could have our producer um, kind of look up the OptiFlow um, HFNC system, which I think is out of New Zealand right now. I think that's where it was produced. I, I feel like I saw that in mm -hmm. the um, footnotes. But, um, you know, how much would this unit cost? What would the disposables be? And then as you alluded to, what is the nursing care? One of the big costs, at least, that we run into um, with mechanical ventilation isn't the ventilation itself, but like the, the cost of the drugs to keep them tolerating. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you could probably argue that they they would be manageable on a lot less aggressive sedation protocols yeah. with this. Um, so that could be a cost saver there. Um, but depending on what this system is, oh, that baby looks really happy. Okay, so we've got a, a Google search here, and there's an incredibly happy cartoon baby to have these nasal he oxygen cannulas um, in his nose. Yeah, he's like, I can breathe. Um, so have some fun when you Google these. But um, the problem, a lot of these companies won't, won't publish, like, this is what it costs, because they want you to call and negotiate, and they want to know what country you're from, and if you have a single-payer health care system who's, um, who's negotiated for better prices. But um, so... Yeah, we'll give them a call over in New Zealand to see what this is. I, I can't get over the picture of this baby. That's pretty good. Super happy to be able to read again. Um, so that that's a big unanswered question. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll, we'll keep trying to see if we can figure out the cost. But um, presumably it's going to be less than a, a ventilator. Um, that, that's my assumption. Um, but again, there's all the, the nursing care costs and yeah. things like that. So I, I also think like... You gotta, you're, you've got to be in that sweet spot. We're like, okay, I have money to do more than what we're doing now, but not quite enough for full mechanical ventilation. So, so I don't know. I'm not quite sure how this is going to be implemented or, or when is the best time to implement it at this point. I do think it's exciting to have another option. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's just kind of cool, like even the lower flow rates that they're mentioning, which um, like the patients seem to tolerate, like the 0.4 liters per kg per minute, the FiO2 is 72%, which is kind of, it's yeah. nice to, to be able to reach that yeah. that degree of things, and, and especially if they would tolerate them, um, which is, again, I, think, I just think it's pretty cool if it, if it would be, again, the right price for it. Yeah, but then I guess going back to their table, so we can, you know, all right, the price, we can lament that, but yeah. going back to, you know, kind of what they did, and, and they've got a number of tables in here where they're looking at, again, just... Did they tolerate it, um, both from a just a sedation type standpoint, but also like what effect did the higher flows have on their their breathing, which was I thought also fairly interesting, like how much that affected their breathing. But then the um, the inspiratory and expiratory airway pressures was wow. also was also pretty cool. Yeah. So let, yeah, let's let's go through that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So like the chart, I think it's table table four. If you guys are looking at the the charts with us, um, 
they're again it's split up with the traditional nasal cannulas and the high flow and then the little like uh, abbreviations next to it are just the flow rate um so it's actually kind of if you just just quickly scan through looking at the traditional nasal cannulas like not really uh, i'm just comparing means right now not like a crazy increase at the different flow, flow rates going from 0.1 to 0.4 it doesn't seem like a huge increase in inspiratory airway pressure but um definitely pretty significant when you're looking at the 0.4 for the nasal cannulas with a mean of 0.92 um that goes all the way up to 4.65 when you're hitting a flow rate of 2.5 liters per kg per minute, I think is the, the rate that we're looking at there. That's a pretty significant increase. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's where, there, you know, again, this is kind of exciting is, you know, the tight-fitting mask for traditional CPAP is just really not very practical for us. Our, our patients just aren't really built for that. Um, so, but the fact that they're able to achieve, like, decent, um, you know, continuous uh, positive pressure is, is pretty cool. Um, so they have the inspiratory and then the expiratory pressures, which follows a fairly similar pattern at table five compared to table four. Um, so higher high flow rates, you get more, you know, higher pressures versus the traditional cannulas. A little bit higher on expiration than inspiration, which makes sense, but not um, nothing, nothing crazy dramatic. But then the number of dogs um, in table six um, that achieved continuous positive airway pressure. Um, so interestingly... Um, at the, the low flow, not, not getting there, not continuously. Mm-hmm. Um, but a decent number of them in, um, in the, the, low, the mid-range flow rates, mm-hmm. right? Like one and two liters. Um, let's see, the, sedate, the, the best results, right, were two liters per kg per minute in a sedated dog. That's going to give you your best chance of achieving CPAP. Mm-hmm. Um, None of the dogs at the lowest flow rate got CPAP, about half or so in the the lower flow rate, which isn't bad. Um, Not a huge difference between awake or sedated. It really seems like it's just more about the flow rate than anything. Um, And then time and time again, I I guess the the higher, the 2.5 liters per kg per minute, you're like, yes, we will get... Um, CPAP if your patient will tolerate it for a minute, (laughs) which those numbers aren't great. So the the sweet spot was definitely between one and two liters per kick per minute for most of these parameters, um, which is, which is good. Um, so yeah, big take homes then I guess are the FIO2 we're achieving, Mm -hmm. the positive airway pressures that we're achieving, um, and that it was reasonably tolerable. Yeah. Um, the big downsides then what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when is this really ideal to use? Um, that's, that's, I think the big unanswered question. Yeah. And the complications associated, the costs associated with, like we mentioned before. And I guess the only other kind of like interesting thing is they do note the differences in the PCO2 for these guys as well. Right. Um, cause there are no differences in the PCO2 or end title using the traditional nasal cannulas at like any flow rate. Right. But then when they use the high flow, um, the PCO2 was lower at baseline relative to the higher flow rates, um, especially when the patients were sedated. So that has a interesting to me because we have a, a lot of hypercapnic patients that are on the ventilator that were battling these PC, these you know um, PCO2s as well and so like how you know yeah. how much worse is that going to be in the patient that's not healthy which again these are all the healthy dogs that we looked at right. here what the the, the dyspneic patient what is that going to translate to right and and you know we we certainly can tolerate fairly well, not we our patients we we sort of enforce <laughs> our patients to tolerate fairly high levels of of co2 and and for a short period of time that's fair um, but that is going to be a potential limiting factor as well um, again so it you know it's not like well you know this is achieving all the things we want without you know the the downsides um, but uh, did you find some prices for us? Uh, maybe. 
Okay. So depending on if we're looking at the right thing, some of these, they've got like maybe some in-home systems that could be usable. Um, some of the nasal prongs, some of those nasal prongs, uh, of course, in human medicine, they're going to be disposable, right? But we would we maybe reuse them because that's what we do. We're big on recycling in veterinary medicine. Um, I don't know if that, oh, for a 10-pack, it looked like $115. So like 12 bucks for one of the nasal cannulas actually isn't too, too bad. Um, I don't know if like you'd change those out once a day or something. Um, but then it looks like the, the system itself could be anywhere from 15 to maybe $2,500, um, which, you know, compared to the cost of a typical ventilator is not too bad. So, um, you know, what does that translate to um, in what you charge your client is going to depend on the maintenance costs the and, use. you know, yeah. Yeah, all of those other things. So, but it, potential for a significant cost savings, um, I think over mechanical ventilation. So uh, there's potential here, I guess is what I would say. And, and so it's really exciting, um, that, that people are looking at this, you know, we're always, again, we're, we're just trying to do our best to help the clients and the patients, um, you know, given the limitations in veterinary medicine. So, you know, big kudos to the authors for, for putting this together. I think again, it, it was a, a well-designed and well-executed study. Um, you know, they, they clearly put a lot of work into this and, and I think well described what mm-hmm. they did and their methods. So, you know, the kind of thing that you could you could try to replicate this um, either in a clinical setting or, again, in, in a research setting, maybe trying to try this in not-so-healthy dogs. Um, you know, what difference does that make? Are we achieving the same kinds of results that we want? Maybe the sedation needs are even less. Um, yeah. As you said, you've got a dysmic patient who cares less about the thing in his nose and more about trying to stay alive. You know, we certainly can see some of that. Um but uh, uh, so interesting to see where this goes. I know, uh, you know, we've been playing around with it a little bit here at Florida and some, some people here are excited. Again, I don't think either of us have personally tried it, but we can maybe bring that up some other time, see if somebody wants to share some experiences once we've, we've tried it a little bit more. Um, final thoughts, comments on? Uh, no, I uh, kind of echo your thoughts. Like, I think it's, it's well done. It's um, nicely explained. The pictures are much appreciated actually <laughs> to see how it, how it works. So Some cute dog. Um, but I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting. I think it'd be really, if it'd be really nice if, if clinically useful, it, which it sounds like it's, it's pretty promising to use in that in-between patient, you know, that, that that's like kind of failing the traditional medical management, but may not have the finances to go on the ventilator or the owner has other concerns and doesn't want to do that. It's kind of a nice, Or it's the middle of the night yeah. and it's a stopgap until you're, yep. you're you know, or I don't you know. you don't have the nursing team to handle a ventilator yeah. patient or don't have one. It might be something that's more uh, attainable for like the, yeah. a, a regular emergency practice to, to have on hand. So. Very cool. Well, Thank you again, Dr. Campos, for joining us uh, for another Journal Club. Uh, Thanks again to the authors of Comparison of High-Flow Nasal Cannula Oxygen Administration to Traditional Nasal Cannula Oxygen Therapy in Healthy Dogs. Um, We appreciate your contribution, and uh, we will talk to you next time.